Welcome to the Before You Buy or Sell a Business podcast, where we help buyers and sellers learn more about the acquisition process, discuss recent transactions, and stay up to date on the latest news in the market. Here's your host, Jared Johnson. All right. So how's it going, Jim? Jared, it is going great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So got Jim Ely today. Very excited to have you on. Um, you've got a wealth of knowledge um, that we'll hopefully be able to tap into. So I was trying to remember how specifically we met each other. I want to say it's probably been about 16 years. At least. I think you were just starting out as a BDO doing SBA 504 loans and enterprise funding. Yep. Yeah. When I worked for Jeff. Um I remember you were doing some with Bank of the West, I think, at that point. Back then, I was securitizing the first trustee portions of SBA 504 loans, where small community banks wanted to do a 504 first. They couldn't. And we were developing a secondary market product, uh, same time Zions was starting to roll out theirs. Because my uh, background and bread and butter was I was helping small community banks do SBA 7A loans, packaging them as a 7A loan packager with a, a guy named Steve Stoltz. I've been working with him since uh, 84. And uh, one of our buddies heard that we were knocking on bank stores all the time and said, hey, you want to help us develop this 504 product? So that's how we bumped into each other when you were at Enterprise. Yeah, when I was trying to learn SBA lending and uh, try to figure out what I was doing uh, at that point. Well, so I haven't figured it out yet. As I mentioned, I've been doing this since uh, 84th. What is that? 38, 39 years. And that just means I'm just starting to catch on. But also, I sometimes ask myself, is it really 39 years or is it one year repeated 39 times? Because they keep changing the damn rules. Yeah. And, 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 and that's one of the reasons why I became a, an instructor for Nagel is it's like when you're teaching your kid uh, uh, math, you know, they bring home a homework assignment. You really don't know if you know something until you have to teach it to somebody. So that's why I became a Nagel instructor to help people. Uh, you know, it was to force myself to know the rules because, like I said, if you don't you don't know if you know something, until you have to teach it to somebody. Yeah, and for everybody listening, Nagel is the National Association of Government Guaranteed Lenders. So essentially, our lobby group for SBA lenders. So that's right. Well, let's uh, let's back up a little bit and kind of talk about your background. So where'd you grow up? Grew up in Southern California, born and raised in La Mirada, the uh, home of the Rand McNally Map Making Company. And the only reason I remember that is as a kid in high school, we do a rose parade float for the Rand McNally Company. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me about the Rose Parade yeah. several times. Yeah. So then where'd you go to college? UCLA. All right. Yeah. So I know you and I talk about the football and basketball every now and then with UCLA. So. Depends how they're playing. Yeah. <laughs> I think you told me you got rid of your season tickets. Um, yeah, but that wasn't because they were playing so badly. It's because they kept scheduling games at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night. And yeah. That that, that'll probably them. change now. Yeah. With the Big and Ten. Then, we'll see. Yeah. That'll be interesting. So, all right. So you... I'm sure had a lot of fun at UCLA. Uh, when you're done with that, how'd you get into lending? Kind of what what'd you what was your next step from that point? Well, actually, I didn't want to graduate from school. I was having too much fun, but <laughs> reality reared its ugly head. And after the five-year program, I had to get out there in the real world and um, attempted to be a stockbroker very briefly with Dean Witter and then um, sold a bunch of tax-advantaged uh, investments, primarily all those windmills in Palm Springs to mm -hmm. drive in. 
And then I met a guy that was selling products and gotten an SBA loan for it. Oh. And that sounded kind of interesting. So I thought, well, I want to learn more about SBA loans. So I knocked on a couple doors and there was a guy packaging 7A loans uh, named Steve Stoltz. And so I said, hey, I'd like to learn about SBA loans. You want to hire me? He very foolishly said yes. And I started packaging SBA 7A loans for Steve. What year was that? 1984. And the reason I can remember that is that was when the LA Olympics mm. were. And I was selling uh, t-shirts, screen printed to the Olympics at the Coliseum for the Summer Olympics. Was that legal? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I was a dumb kid selling, you know, rent Olympic ring logo and says LA 84. And yeah. Yeah. So I know I don't, I don't remember that cause I was only two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. <laughs> all right. So maybe we'll kind of, we can, we can talk about SBA and state guaranteed and all that kind of lending in a minute, but, uh, you know, just kind of want to dive into, you know, your experience buying or selling businesses. Well, I've actually owned and operated a couple of businesses myself. I ended up buying the company I worked at for 30 plus years, Stoltz Financial, bought it from Steve, um, paid a dollar for it. I was afraid I had overpaid. Yeah. Um, but also, I've my wife owns a cosmetics business. And um, um, the, the key thing about owning or buying a business is to make sure you know what you're getting into. Because if you don't know what you're getting into, you know, you got to be very careful about it. And also, you got to be, make sure you understand the motivation of the seller. Owning a business is not as easy as a lot of people think. You're, you're, you got to understand why is the seller selling? Is he at that point in his life where he wants to spend more time with grandkids? Is he burned out? Does he have health issues? Or is the business just getting harder? Is there more competition? Does he have significant CapEx needs moving forward? So that's the trick is mm -hmm. make sure you understand what you're getting into, then also understand what the seller is getting out of. Yeah. So obviously your the business you bought that you had essentially been helping run for 30 years was pretty easy. You knew what you were getting into. But so how is the cosmetic business done? It's gotten very competitive. It's dog mm -hmm. eat dog. Your margins are compressed. Uh, a lot of the product has gone offshore. You don't have a lot of domestic product anymore. And really what's happened is um, my wife is winding it down, but she's got a, a core constituency of customers that still like it. And so, and, and it's basically just the wholesale distribution business. Okay. Um, and it's gotten harder because a lot of people go online. And so you got, you got to ask yourself with a business, are you going to be prone to any kind of technological obsolescence with retail versus online sales? So that type of business has just gotten harder and harder. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think it's some of the stuff you kind of can't predict, right? Is yeah. what, what's going to happen in the landscape with the type of business industry you're in. So Well, and the other thing, though, is my wife still does it because a lot of her customers have become friends. Mm. And the only reason she does it is because of that personal relationship. And she's still having fun with it. So, you know, that's a key point, too, I want to bring up is if somebody's buying a business, you want to make sure you're going to be able to have fun with it, too. Yeah. Because you don't want it to turn into um, drudgery. Right. All right. So we can talk about SBA lending um, and then also kind of talk about some of the other programs that are out there. So if you had to guess, how many SBA loans do you think you've done? Actually, I don't have to guess. I Back in the 80s, or no, this would have been in the 90s, I put together an access database where I track all my leads and all my fundings. And I have done 
$887 million in 7A loans. Wow. And the average loan size is roughly about six fifty to seven hundred thousand. So I can't I can't you know and that's that's equating to thirty maybe deals a year at the mm-hmm. most or forty, somewhere around there. Yeah, I know some years you were cranking them out and then a couple years where, you know, it all depended. It, 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 there there's two sides to the equation with SBA lending is you have your referral sources which is great. And then you have your lenders. The referral sources stay the same. You know, in my world, it's bankers, it's business owners, it's CPAs, it's, um, you know, uh, valued uh, knowledge experts. And they stay in their lane and they come to me if somebody needs an SBA loan. But on the lender side, you'll find that that's constantly changing. The bank that was hot doing something two years ago may no longer be doing it. And maybe you've noticed, you know, some institutions, they're great to work with and then they tighten up their credit box or they run into liquidity issues. And so it changes. So it's kind of a juggling act, you know, like some lenders love to do business acquisition financing. Other lenders kind of pull back on it because business acquisition financing is, is fraught with a lot of risks. The primary risk being, does the buyer know what he's getting into? Does he have any skin in the game and will be able to repay the loan? Yeah, exactly. So maybe we can kind of shift a little bit and explain what your role has been over the years with SBA lending, you know, um, as essentially a loan broker, um, maybe kind of explain how that process has worked, how it's developed over the years. Yeah, the way the way I have presented myself to the market isn't calling myself a loan broker per se, but uh, call myself a what the SBA refers to as a lender service provider, where I would go to a lot of community banks um, and tell them, hey, why aren't you doing SBA lending? I can help you start an SBA department on an outsourced basis. Uh, and then once we get up and going, I can help you, you know, talk to that customer, explain to them why an SBA loan is best suited for him. So that's, that's kind of... First of all, is the value add I have with lenders is I know how to structure the deal for credit and eligibility. And that value add extends to um, CPAs, business brokers, and business owners. Because the unique thing about SBA lending is it's not a cookie cutter one size fits all. The the reason why you need the SBA guarantee is because there's usually a defined weakness in the credit. And you have to identify that weakness and figure out how you're going to mitigate it with the SBA guarantee and the structuring of the deal. And that's, that's, that's what I'm able to do is figure out, first of all, is there a deal here? And then if so, how do you structure it? Like, like one of the deals that you and I did together that was kind of fun and that we just closed last month was this guy who owned a charter yacht business. And I had helped that guy, by the way, the, the seller get an SBA loan years ago to upgrade his engines to clean burning diesel. And I'd gotten him a 7A loan to refinance the debt, put in the clean burning diesel, and he was a happy camper. And then I got him another 7A loan to refi that first 7A loan over a longer term to equal the estimated useful life of the whole. Uh, and then he decided he wanted to retire. And uh, I had found an applicant that was very well qualified. He was also in the charter boat business. He also had good other income with a spouse. But the weakness of the deal 
was, um, you know, SBA requires typically an equity capital contribution of 10% of the purchase price. He didn't have that much liquidity for the 10% purchase price, but he owned a boat that he used for his own charter business. And we took that boat based on the surveyed value of the boat, called that his equity capital contribution. And we used that as his equity injection for the deal. And that qualified for SBA purposes. It was otherwise a good deal. Remember I said, you got to know what you're getting into. This guy already was a captain. He already knew the charter boat business. So he knew what he's getting into. He was backed up with his wife, who was a CPA that understood the numbers. Uh, and then he had good skin in the game because he basically contributed the boat that he owned free and clear into the business. So the value add uh, uh, was that we knew how to structure the deal so that it was a win-win for both the borrower, the seller, as well as the lender. And, and, and that's what I really bring to the table. Like another example, I think, is we did that deal um, a while back for the guy in the traffic barricade business yeah. where I had a general manager of a business who um, wanted to buy out the founder. They were getting ready to retire, but he had no equity to contribute to the deal, but he did have uh, a, a slight ownership interest. And because of that slight ownership interest, we were able to leverage the difference with a 7A loan. So that that's really the secret is understanding um, what works, what doesn't work, and then coming up with the structure. It's not one size fits all. It's what's the situation and what do we need to do to make it work. But, you know, the key driver in all these deals is the way I look at it because I sit on the director's loan committee of a bank and I also I chair the loan committee for a loan guarantee program through the state of California is if this deal blows up, am I going to look stupid five years from now? And no, I mean, we have good cash flow. That's the key driver. And, and cash flow is king. If, if, if you're the buyer of a business or if you're the seller of the business, you got to ask yourself, what is my cash flow? And for a lot of people, cash flow means different things to different people. You know, the rule of thumb is EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, et cetera. And, you know, that's the down and dirty key test. And then a lot of people will attempt to do add backs based on the seller's expenses and everything. And you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, does that pass the reasonable test? You know, it's just like, you're not buying this business to buy yourself a job. You're buying this business for return on your investments. You gotta look, because the value of a business is really the capitalized value of that cash flow. You're, you're buying an income stream that needs to give you a return on your investment and not just give you a job. So that's, that's the key thing I look at. First thing is if somebody says, hey, I wanna sell my business, is I'm gonna say, well, you're gonna need to show us what is the historical cash flow? What is the EBITDA? Because um, that's what a business valuation is going to depend on when we're trying to come up with a basis of value. And that's what lenders, that's what you look at. Yeah. You know, that's key, key right then and there. Well, and that's what the buyers, like you're saying, should yeah. be looking at is, uh, you know, I'm always surprised when people reach out to me and say, hey, I want to buy this business and say, okay, send me the tax returns. I look at it, I'm like kind of scratching my head, like, what, you know, where did they come up with this value? And then, a lot of times they're like, well, what do you mean? And then like, you know, it almost makes me fall out of my chair. I'm like, so you want to buy a business that and pay a million dollars for it, but the cash flow is a hundred grand a year and you didn't stop to think, how am I going to pay this loan back? <laughs> oh, the, the disconnect between 
buyer and seller sometimes is very significant. Mm -hmm. And part of what you get is when you hear about billion dollar acquisitions mm -hmm. and they're talking about the multiple at the billion dollar level, it's a whole different world compared to the lower market, lower middle market. That's typically where SBA lending occurs. The, the, it's actually harder to get an SBA loan to buy a small business than it is to get financing through an SBIC or a hedge fund by a billion dollar business because mm -hmm. the multiples are less because there's more scrutiny to it. And that's the thing to keep in mind is, is the multiple of cash flow on the smaller deals is actually less than on the larger deals. And a lot of that is uh, because they're strategic, right? So you're eliminating a lot of the expenses. So at, at the end of the day, the cash flow still ends up being there or they're buying them for market share or because they want to, you know, pivot and do something else once they acquire them. So, so obviously working with you, a couple different things, you know, one, you understand how to structure the deal, how to put it together. You completely understand the SBA guidelines. So, uh, you know, like you just mentioned, bringing a boat as your down payment, you know, 99.9% .9 of lenders out there probably don't even know you could do that. Um, and then on top of that, you know, which lenders are actually going to get it done. Yep. So it makes sense for, for people to, to reach out to, to someone in your shoes. So you had mentioned, um, SBIC or some of the hedge funds. Do you have any experience, uh, like working with them on deals at all? No. Okay. No, I stick to what I know. I mean, mm -hmm. if I get a guy comes in and wants to buy a business for a hundred million, I wouldn't know what to do with them. I'd fumble it. I'd probably just, it, it would just not work out. So no, I just stick to what I know. I, I learned a long time ago. Um, you know, Jared is sitting in my office right now and in the corner, there's a surfboard. And that's that's a surfboard that I made myself. And I, I shaped it and I was trying to replicate the design of a board it's, uh, called a Lance Collins Performance Nose Rider. And I was trying to make another one because it was my favorite board. And so I thought, well, I can do this. I'll shape it myself. So I I shaped it, but I made a mistake. And every time you make a mistake, you got to reshape it and take off a little more foam. And so I did that and I had to take off a little more. And my original goal was to have the thickness of the board be about two and seven eighths inches thick. And that would be the right amount of buoyancy for the board to perform the way I wanted it. Well, I made a mistake, had to shave off a little more, made another mistake, had to shave off a little more. Ultimately, when I was done, the thickness of that board is only about two inches, hmm. which basically makes it almost unsurfable. So it looks pretty sitting in the corner, but it's a lesson to me. And that is stick to what you know. And, 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 and that's my reminder. So I stick to government guaranteed lending. That's, that's really my wheelhouse. I help people that need financing with a government guarantee to offset either lack of equity injection lack of collateral or the need for an amortization longer than what a conventional bank can do. Yeah, it's great, great advice. Um, you know, board still looks really good in here though. <laughs> it looks good, but it doesn't, it doesn't perform well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, okay. So kind of gives us a little bit of a leeway into some of the other loan programs. So, um, I would say a big majority of, uh, people that are buying businesses are either thinking seller carry notes, um, SBA, maybe some traditional financing, which is extremely hard to get, you know, on kind of a, what we would call conventional basis, but not a lot of people know about other forms of lending, such as state guarantees. So maybe you can fill us in on that a little bit. Yeah. I wear a couple different hats. In addition to wearing my SBA 7A hat, 
Um, I chair the loan committee for the State of California Infrastructure and Economic Development Bank, and that's a, a loan guarantee program like the SBA, but it's backed by a trust fund um, that's leveraged to honor guarantees. And um, it's very useful. And the reason why I work in that program is it's not a competing product to SBA, it's a complementary product to SBA. Sometimes an SBA loan will not work for whatever reason. Let's say, for example, uh, you need an amortization greater than what SBA will allow. SBA dictates the amortization of a loan based on the use of proceeds. For example, on the acquisition of a business, you typically are limited in the case of a stock purchase to 10 years, or typically, even if it's an asset purchase, 10 years, unless you can argue the estimated useful life of the underlying assets greater than that. With the state guarantee program, you can amortize it based on whatever you think is appropriate, understanding that the guarantee will expire after seven years. So oh, okay. you could, let's say, for example, you're trying to buy a business, but for whatever reason, a 10-year term won't work and you need to increase it for longer than that, you can utilize the state guarantee for a longer term. Or let's say, for example, you can use a 7A loan to buy the business, but you want a state guarantee to perhaps provide a line of credit. You can do that. Um, in addition, let's say you want to buy a business, but you already have an existing SBA loan and you've exhausted all your availability of SBA guarantee. You could take that state guarantee and pay off the existing 7A loan and then get a new 7A loan for that business acquisition. So that's through an organization called the uh, SBF DOC, Small Business Financial Development of Orange County. Um, I chair their loan uh, uh, committee and the great easy way to remember it is Loan Guarantee, SBF DOC. Now, in addition to that, you talk about um, conventional financing. One of my uh, client banks really liked what I was doing and they asked me to join their board. And I'm now the vice chairman of a small community bank here in uh, Orange County. And um, they could, in theory, provide conventional financing for business acquisition. Um, but the equity capital requirements, the down payment needed, just doesn't make sense to most owners, uh, to most buyers. I mean, typically you would have to put down 30, 40 percent. Right. Just even be in the ball game, and that just doesn't work. Why? Why take that money and put it down when even if you have the cash, you want to keep and retain that as working capital for the business? Because you know that's really one of the most important questions a buyer of a business should ask themselves. Okay, great, I buy this business, but when the dust settles, what is my cash cycle and what is my working capital sufficiency? Do I have enough working capital to support the business? until it starts firing on all cylinders with that transition to new ownership. Yeah, there are a lot of things that come up that people do not think about. I, if I had a dollar for every time someone called me six months after closing and saying, hey, I'm out of cash because of X, Y, Z, yep. I mean, people, and then I, I always find it odd, I'll have people say, oh, I don't want that much working capital. Why are you trying to give me you know, an extra 200 grand or whatever? And I always tell them, look, here's the deal. There's no prepayment penalty, take the cash, a year down the road, if you have way too much capital, then make a principal reduction payment. But at least, you yeah. know, you're in a good spot. And all these deposits and all these crazy things that come up, you know, you're ready to go with when that happens and you're not going to fail. So so with the state guarantee program for California specifically, um, what are some of the like the loan terms? 
Um, you know, what's an equity requirement? Uh, maybe talk a little bit about kind of some of the guidelines, like what's the maximum loan you can do? The state of California small business loan guarantee program provides up to an 80% guarantee with a maximum guaranteed portion of $5 million. Okay. Um, the term of that guarantee, that guaranteed portion is valid for seven years. You can amortize the loan or whatever term you feel is appropriate. Um, there's no minimum qualifying criteria with respect to equity injection. There's no minimum criteria regarding repayment ability. There's no minimum requirement regarding collateral sufficiency. It's all based on the bank's underwriting and whether or not it makes sense. Because this is an economic development program where if you can demonstrate either creation of new jobs, preservation of existing jobs, perhaps lending to a disadvantaged area or borrower, you can typically qualify for financing. And then I'd make an assumption that the business has to be in California. <laughs> the, there's two qualifying criteria for the business. One is it needs to be located in California and you have 750 or less employees. Okay. That's it. So that's pretty much going to cover most of yep. small to medium sized businesses. Um, and then are you aware of any other states that have similar programs? No. The program was funded through what was called SSBCI. That's the state. Small Business Credit Initiative, and that happened initially back in 2009 during the last recession okay. when they uh, uh, threw some money in, and then another round of financing occurred through the CARES Act during the pandemic. Um, other states are trying to do it, but they haven't quite fine-tuned it or made it as user-friendly as they have it here in the state of California. Have the loans that you've made been pretty successful? Yes. As a matter of fact, one of the ones I like to brag about, and, and, and you know about it, is in downtown Long Beach. Um, there's a, a project called Shannon's on Pine, where this was a little kind of Irish bar. And the owner wanted to buy the entire complex that he was in and then build out the second floor into what he called the Skylight Lounge. Um, he couldn't qualify for 504 because the problem was that there were seismic issues and the planning and permitting needed to figure all that out was going to take longer than the uh, required escrow closing date because the owner of the building had died and we had a limited time to close because of pressure from the estate. So the way we structured it is we did a 7A loan to close on the real property. And then after it closed, we got our plans and permits together and then was able to get a state guaranteed for the eventual build out of the tenant improvements. And it became such a nice trophy project that for several years, SBA would host their annual Christmas parties there in downtown Long Beach. And, and I'm happy to say that I was just there uh, about a month or two ago and the upstairs uh, Skylight Lounge is doing great. Downstairs where Shannon's is, they've got Shannon's. They've got a high-end uh, restaurant next door called The Carvery. And then downstairs, they have a new, what they call Secret Island, where it's a uh, tiki bar speakeasy. Oh, cool. Where, yeah, you've got to say the secret word and push the nose of the tiki god and you get into the room <laughs> downstairs. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. So there's there's obviously, uh, it's nice to hear that there are other loan programs out there because a lot of people kind of get stuck just doing SBA or seller carry. Yeah, the seller carry is the easiest route to go, but sometimes mm -hmm. the seller doesn't want it. 
Well, yeah, a lot of times they don't. Yeah, they don't want anything to do with it. So um, maybe that would kind of lead us into the next topic. So there's been quite a bit of changes now with SBA lending. So um, kind of thinking back to when you started, maybe tell me some of the differences that have developed over the years, which I think people will kind of find interesting because as business acquisition uh, lending has gotten so popular now, I think a lot of these buyers don't realize kind of what we've gone through over the years. So it used to be nobody ever used a 7A loan for business acquisition financing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was very rare. And the idea of using an SBA loan to finance the acquisition of intangible assets really never occurred to anybody. And then um, it became very prominent with the buying and selling of gas stations. You know, we're talking 25 plus years ago. And then what was the cap on the lending at that point? Was it 2 million? I, at one point it was down to 500 grand, but that was because, you know, there was some funding shortfalls with the 7A program. Cause wow. you gotta remember the SBA 7A program is a political animal. Right. When, when I first got started in this business, this is in 1984, that's back when Ronald Reagan was president and he decided there was no reason for the government to be guaranteeing loans and he was going to abolish the SBA. So my first week on the job, I actually was writing letters to my congressman saying, don't abolish the SBA. And sure enough, the SBA survived. So the takeaway from that was, well, if Ronald Reagan can't kill the SBA, nobody can. (laughs) So so you've got a good career there. But the other thing to keep in mind is, remember, the SBA doesn't require direct taxpayer subsidy. Mm -hmm. Because with an SBA loan, you have that SBA guarantee fee. That guarantee fee actually goes towards the honoring of the guarantees. So it's self-sustaining. You don't need a direct taxpayer subsidy to fund the 7A program. Right. So it's one of the few programs. I think there's only like maybe one or two programs. Yeah, because you have the guarantee fee, then you have the ongoing fee yep. that the banks pay. And Pays then, for the program. And then they also, um, if you're selling loans on the secondary market over a certain period, they take a piece of that as well. Yep. So, But yeah, it's pretty interesting how um, it's one of the few programs that aren't you know draining taxpayer dollars. Well, you could actually argue that it's a net benefit because if you look at the fact that it's not draining taxpayer dollars, and then you look at the performance of the small business that got the SBA loan, it probably generates incrementally more tax dollars. Right. So it's probably a win-win for everybody. Right. Yeah. Because then they're employing yeah. the majority of, of employees are working for small businesses too. So yeah, they're increasing the taxable wages. So I think the takeaway here is that it's every American's patriotic duty to come to you, Jared, and get an SBA one. Oh, man, that would be awesome. So with some of the recent changes that, that we've had going on, um, have the, the biggest changes have been around equity injection. So what do you think the SBA is trying to do uh, with that? Like, what, what do you think is kind of behind the reasoning for it? Well, if you actually look at how the guidance has changed over the years, where at one point... SBA required an equity injection of 25% of the purchase price. And that was if the goodwill was more than 500000 right? right. Yeah. So that was initially driven by the gas station experience I had mm. mentioned. Um, and then it obviously became a little restrictive for a lot of deals and a lot of lenders pushed back on that. So SBA relented and then 
at one point it evolved where, okay, you need a minimum cash equity injection of 10%, period, end of discussion. Well, that eventually changed where they said, well, okay, I'll tell you what. You need a minimum of 5% cash equity injection if the other 5% is on full standby, meaning no payments of principal or interest for the life of the existing SBA loan. Now, the new version of the SOP, which will be effective August 1st, if I'm reading it right, says, well, now you don't need to put anything down if the seller is willing to carry a note that's on standby for the first 24 months. That will suffice as your equity capital injection. So where SBA is going with this, I don't know. I think they're basically saying, hey, you know, lender, we're going to leave it up to you. You know, I always thought one of the fundamentals of credit, those five C's they talk about, was you need to have capital. You need to have some skin in the game. And mm -hmm. myself, I think it's always good if you got something in the game, you know, it makes you have a vested interest in the success of the business as a borrower. But right now, you know, that's kind of exciting where in theory you could buy a business and if you can talk the seller into carrying a piece of it, get the SBA to finance the difference, you could possibly buy a business with no cash down. Right. Obviously, you we've been able to do that for a little while now and then they've kind of clarified it if it's an expansion. So if you... Right have a the similar business type and they've even clarified it even further now that has to be the same NAICS code. Right. Uh, you don't have to put anything down, which I think kind of makes sense, right? Absolutely. Now with this whole piece um, where it, it seems a little difficult to kind of read into it. Now, my interpretation of it, and I think normally what SBA does, right? They, they say, hey, here's your new rules. Everybody kind of goes back and forth trying to figure it out because they're usually fairly vague. Um, and then we usually get some kind of an example or we work with, uh, you know, the, the SBA by sending a loan in for them to approve rather than having preferred lender status. The only thing I'm looking at when I'm reading it, it says part of the injection can be on seller carry note on standby for two years. So I'm wondering if they're still wanting to do five and five and have the 5% on, on, 24 months that, yeah that's really unclear in the guidance as you read it yeah and myself i have a feeling most lenders you know the, the sba establishes what they consider to be their minimum criteria mm -hmm. lenders shouldn't let sba do their underwriting for them they need to establish their own parameters right. and fundamental prudent credit underwriting dictates that the borrower should have some skin in the game and my guess is the market will probably require some equity injection by borrowers. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming as well. We uh, we have a deal uh, at SBA right now, GP, we're paying ourselves off, so we had to send it in. Um, they, uh, they came back and said the seller carry note was on full standby for, you know, and they said they wanted us to change it to only 24 months. So we were kind of confused because our understanding interpretation was that if you wanted to count it as equity, which we didn't need to at this point, the, the borrower was still putting 10% down, then we could kind of decide or the, yeah. the buyer seller could decide. And so we pushed back and said, no, we want to leave it on full standby. And they said, okay, that was fine. But it was, it was a little confusing. So I wonder if they were trying to help you. I mean, yeah, it makes you wonder about their motivation. Yeah. So I think we're, we're going to have to, 
do a little trial and error here for a little while and kind of figure it out. So, you know, one of the other changes that I, I noticed is for verification of equity injection. Now it says that you just have to follow the same guidelines that you would as a bank right. for verifying equity. Do you think that's going to change anything? I think most banks will keep doing it the way they've always done, which is make it a very hard, difficult process requiring cancel checks, receipts, mm -hmm. because verification of that equity injection was and has been one of SBA's hot points. So I don't Why do you think that is? that is? I think when you look at the loan loss experience with SBA and the reasons for repairs and denials and deals blown up, you didn't have adequate equity injection. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that and then I've always thought they're probably also trying to limit some maybe some money laundering. <laughs> if money is just kind of getting dropped off in you know large amounts of cash and then and then they're using that to put down to buy a business they're probably trying to skirt some of that too i don't know i like i said i sit on the board of a bank and bsa and aml all the money laundering stuff goes over my head it's way too complicated yeah <laughs> you're better at the the lending right again staying in staying in your lane what you're what you know and what Clo you're good at the closest i get the money laundering is watching uh, better call Saul or breaking bad there you go yeah, yeah. great show all right so you know, obviously you've been, been doing this for a long time. Um, what's kind of your overall take right now on the landscape with business acquisitions and then kind of the economy as a whole? So, you know, a lot of people are freaking out because rates have gone up so much. When you think about it, prime has gone from three and a quarter percent just over a year ago to eight and a quarter. And you're thinking, oh my God, it's the end of the world. But keep in mind that with your typical SBA 7A loan amortized over 10 years, remember your principal is both principal and interest. So even though interest rates have gone up dramatically, your monthly payment hasn't gone up as much. Now, the flip side to that, that's for 10-year financing for business acquisition. acquisition. For real estate, no, your payment has gone up significantly because more of your payment is principal, less towards principal. Uh, more of your payment is interest, less towards principal. So it's really adversely impacted real estate financing more than business acquisition financing. But what happens is as rates go up, that forces cap rates to go up, which pushes down the value of a business. So what that's doing is it's pushing down business values and it's also slightly decreasing the affordability of the financing. So you think it's having a dampening effect on business acquisition financing, but you tell, I'm not seeing a significant slowdown yeah. at all. As yeah, a matter yeah. of fact, I'm seeing a lot of sellers saying, uh, you know what, is there a recession coming? I need to bail out. You know, I got a lot of buyers. They're totally indifferent. They think, hey, this is great. Things are good. Right now, fundamentally, most of the businesses I'm working with are doing okay. Yeah. And, you know, people say, hey, we're headed for a recession because we have an inverted yield curve. Well, the inverted yield curve is the tyranny of the market getting whipsawed by a very aggressive Federal Reserve. So, you know, what does that do? Does it dampen the enthusiasm of the banks to lend? Yes, banks will be a little more selective because they can make just as much money parking the loan in Fed funds. So they can be a little more picky. So that, that might have a dampening effect. But 
overall, I think fundamentally, most of your bread and butter businesses still seem to be doing okay. So yeah, I'm, we're still busy. I mean, I think I'll probably pass what I did last year by next month. So definitely, you know, a lot busier, you know, only six, six and seven months in, you know, already doing more than last year. I thought last year was a lot, you know, so that is um, good to hear. Yeah. So we're not, we're not seeing too much of a slowdown. What, what do you think is going to happen with the fed, uh, continuing to raise rates? Obviously this week they didn't. Um, do you think they're going to anymore? I think think it's going to be data dependent. I think we got to wait and see what's going on, you know, uh, to show you what a nerd I am. I look at the price of a gallon of regular gas. I fill up at Costco by my house and it's now been at $4 and 49 cents a gallon for the last four months straight. So that is a drop from where it was a while ago. And the same thing I go into home Depot and I look at the price of an eight foot two by four Douglas fir, which is the backbone of all home remodeling and new home construction. And it has it's it's half as much as what it was 24 months ago when the 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 price of framing lumber just went through the roof so for all this talk about inflationary pressure i think they've let some air out of the tire and the inflationary pressure isn't as strong as it was so i think there's a reasonable basis to assume that rates probably won't go up at all or much higher I don't think we're going to see them go down anytime soon. I think you'll see your 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 five year and ten year treasury bill rates actually go up, but I don't think we'll see prime go down anytime soon. And I think it's just the new reality. You never want to say new reality because the minute you say that, everything changes. Yeah. But um, I think it's just the cost of doing business. Remember when I got started in this business, prime was averaging around seven and three quarters. That had been its ten year average for years. Yeah, I think it was I think it was eight and a half um in like twenty two thousand seven. Yeah. And I remember people saying like, Oh yeah, well, it's just prime. Yeah. You know. It's 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 we just got spoiled by low rates for mm-hmm. so long. Yeah. So I think maybe kind of what you're saying is it's it's still a, a good time to look and buy and not sit there and scared. A lot of people uh will kind of reach out and and tell me they're a little nervous about buying because they think rates are going to continue to go up so if they're not going to go up or maybe just a tiny bit more or they're going to stay flat for a long time it's probably a good time to like actually look and say the business is doing well right now it's probably not going to just suddenly fall off a cliff you don't want to base your decision on whether or not to buy a business on where you think interest rates are going um because then you can just make all sorts of excuses not to make a decision because hmm. uh, re- remember, with the way the financing is structured with that fairly short term of 120 months, a 25 basis point or half a percent increase in rate is not going to materially impact your monthly payment. So your decision should be based not on where you think rates are going, but whether or not this is something you think you can do. I, I mean, that's it. I, w- I wouldn't, you can't time the market. And I would say, don't let rates be your decision uh, uh, metric in evaluating potential business opportunity. That's some great advice. Yeah. Um, what's your prediction uh, for the future of SBA lending? Do you think there's going to be anything that will will change drastically over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think um, you'll see SBA try and reach out to 
drive the average loan size smaller. A lot of people don't realize that there's no, you know, a lot of people have sticker shop with a 7A loan when they see how expensive the guarantee fee can be on a larger transaction, but there's no guarantee fee on your smaller loans. Yeah. And I think SBA is going to continue to support that. I think they're going to continue to push that. Um, I'm working right now on a credit scored model using the SBA's FICO SBSS scoring system to do a direct loan with no actual underwriting. Um, and I think that's what you're going to see is SBA trying to do more smaller loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and by smaller, you mean under 500,000? I'm, under I'm talking 50 grand and less. Oh, okay. Real small. Okay. Yeah. Because um, th- there's a definite void in the market because mm-hmm. you have less sophisticated borrowers that don't understand requests for info. They don't underwrite well. And it's too hard and cumbersome for an, a lender to figure it out. I mean, it's a lot easier to do a $5 million deal sometimes than it is to do a $50,000 deal. You can, it's more work to do the small loan than it is the big one. Yeah, definitely makes sense. So you've given us a lot of advice. Definitely appreciate it. You know, so we've got uh, maybe one last question regarding the advice. Do you have anything that maybe you didn't think of that you want to kind of give some overall advice about buying a business or selling a business? The best advice I have is don't be afraid to ask. And as a lender, the best thing you can do is give somebody a quick no. But, you know, it's, it's, it's also as a buyer, realize the disconnect between buyer and seller. Mm-hmm. And sellers, you need to be realistic in your expectation. And buyers, you need to be, you know, open-eyed and realistic on, on what's truly out there, too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So, all right, I always ask people two questions at the end. So, first one, um, have you ever had a mentor or do you currently have a mentor? I've had several mentors in uh, my career. You know, my primary mentor was, you know, Steve Stoltz mm-hmm. from Stoltz Financial. You know, he basically kind of taught me SBA lending. And so, but now, you know, I'm getting to be an old fart and uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm still trainable or not, but I'm spending a lot of time helping other guys understand cool. and learn and almost becoming a mentor myself. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. And, uh, you know, you've been successful. You've done, what, almost 900 loans now, um, not to mention probably all the other things you've worked on and done. What What's motivated you? What still motivates you? So I might have actually been retired and I didn't realize it because, you know, I, I had shut down my office during the pandemic by the beach and was working out of the house. And I thought, well, you know, well, I just but. The phone kept ringing, emails kept coming in, stuff, and this is not through any marketing of my own. So it kept me busy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, you know, what the heck? And I think the idea of me sitting around the house terrified both my wife and the dog. So I think it's in everybody's best interest for me to just stay out there and do something. And as long as it stays fun, um, I'm going to keep doing it. And, and like, you know, my idea of fun is, you know, like that the boat deal you and I just yeah. did, the Paradiso, that that was fun, figuring out how to do it. And, you know, there was a lot of back and forth and everything. And now I can brag to friends and, you know, I'm going to take everybody out on a cruise there one of these days. And, you know, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think I think the best advice for anybody is um, just have fun with what you're doing. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. Well, it's great working with you, Jared. That's the main thing is, you know, you're a good go-to guy. Well, thank you very much. No, thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. 
We hope you found this podcast informative and helpful. Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. For more information, or if you'd like to discuss a transaction, please go to www.jaredwjohnson.com.